New on Curiosity Stream. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Kim Kardashian. Tycoons are in many ways the lifeblood of society. They are willing to put everything out there. They're willing to lose everything. See how the super elite use their money and power to shape our lives on Tycoons. Plus, from Japan's unbreakable super code to the algorithm mining your Bitcoin, we're breaking down the world's most famous encryptions on cracking the code. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. All right, here we go. <laughs> Please subscribe to the channel. Please. Hey guys, YouTube's got an algorithm and it really, really help us out a lot. If you could like, comment and subscribe, this is how we can get more information out to more people and uh, share the message of Toronto real estate. In Thanks. that order, like, comment, subscribe and hit the damn bell. Yes, it Never. is. Never. Never. I do, I do not give you permission to record this. I will uh, I will stop it right now. No worries. So we're back. The recording is canceled. <laughs> it's another it's another Sunday. It's another Sunday. Good morning, yeah. Mr. TK. What's well, new, man? It's beautiful weather today. I uh, am Sunday. unsure about that. Yeah. yeah. No, I haven't been outside. I looked outside. Looked nice. I got a pool day, so I've, I'm, I've been, you know, cognizant of the weather. Ooh. I'm looking at the app. We were supposed to go uh, to some friends last night, but it rained, and they were yeah. not willing to participate in indoor activities. Okay. Well, every, to <laughs> each their own, we say. To each their own, yeah. That, that yeah. should be a topic for today. But we have iPhone John waiting. Awesome. Bring him in. Bring in the guest of the day. The guest a la jour. Bring in the guests. Time for an execution. A real estate execution. <laughs> Brought to you by Frank Leo and Associates. <laughs> we have lots of sponsors. They don't all know that they sponsor us. No, and if we they really did, get much would from they them be yet. happy? Yeah, yeah we don't get be... much from them yet. I don't know Let's if going, guys. so cool. There John. he is. John. All right. I feel like Welcome. I know you. I feel like I know him. I've been watching so many videos of him lately. Oh, really? I gave him, I I gave him the content. I, <laughs> you feel bad for me. Yeah. <laughs> Try watching this show after. <laughs> Welcome, nice John. to meet thanks. you. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this, man. We're, we appreciate it. I know it's Sunday yeah, morning. Yeah, thanks so. for having me on. Hold on. Let me see if I can get a brighter in here. No worries. Hey. Better. We're in the studio, right? So we got all the professional lighting we've and stuff, right? Got the professional right? so lighting here. So we got, we got a Bay Street studio. So oh yeah, oh yeah. Do you really know, or are you guys just no, saying that? It's like off ah! Bay Street. We're definitely in our basements at home. Like it's kind of. I'm in a bunker in Cuba. Yeah, that's good. I heard Guantanamo was beautiful this time of year. I don't know. There's no <laughs> windows. So John, I'm gonna give you a little intro here, just because we're actually we're already on the show. We're already recording. We're already rolling here. We're happy to have you. Uh, you are the chairman and CEO of Wonder Gaming. I consider you like a serial entrepreneur. You've kind of got a bunch of different, um, your hand is in many different cookie jars and you're all over and uh, you're, it's always inspiring to see what you're up to and different things. And I'm sure you have an opinion on real estate, commercial real estate, residential real estate. I'm sure you have some sort of opinion. So I told Daryl, I said, I got a guy, let's bring him on uh, on the show. I know him from, uh, you know, growing up in the wonderful 
uh, community of the Port Union Road in Lawrence area in the east end of Scarborough. And uh, I'm hoping to, uh, you know, catch up with you a little bit too. So welcome. Great. Thanks for having me. We, uh, we've been doing this show now for, Carol, is it, has it been a year? Do we have our year anniversary? We're not really good at keeping track. So I, I think we're at a year. Um, year. I think we're over a year. We're over a year. Yeah. So we've been doing Feels this obviously like... started in the pandemic, started, uh, you know, reading news articles, going back and forth of what people are thinking about real estate. We've gone through the waves of, you know, oh my gosh, the world's ending. Oh my gosh, real estate's not going to be in demand to holy crap. We can't get enough of it. And, uh, and everything in between, um, you know, we try to bring on a guest every other week. We just shoot the shit for an hour and it's really not as, uh, as serious or, uh, you know, professional as, as any other podcast that you might, you may or may not have been on, but, uh, like Don't either way, let the background fool you, <laughs> yeah. we put on Don't a good show look right? behind the curtain. But another thing too, is Daryl is actually out of all my friends, I would say Daryl is by far the. Uh, most you know creative entrepreneurial guy in, in my circle and um, all of uh, like both of our sons are, are big gamers we want to hear about that kind of stuff too and um, you know and what your thoughts on so how are you doing good man can't complain you know really busy and speaking of real estate I just sold my house to buy a new one so I uh, I know what uh, what going through showings and the listing process during COVID is like which was far less uh, pleasant than uh, when we bought this house I guess six years ago so um but yeah no things are well business is good family's good what more can I ask for did you Amazing. sell your house first or did you buy the new house first no I bought the new house first I was uh, I was out there I was ready to carry uh, carry quite a load no you know what we uh we we were able to do it conditional on the sale of our existing home and you know we bought what? the house now I live in Legend. I live in Port yeah it was great yeah I where, live in Port where is this where is this Port Credit, Mississauga area. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay, yeah. So, um, so yeah, we got really lucky. I had a great realtor, uh, uh, Kevin O'Brien is his name. He's amazing. He's a great dude. Uh, Shout out to Kevin. Um, I'm sorry. Shout out to Kevin. Shout out to Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, SPP yeah, no, condition, but... amazing. That's like rare that's to get crazy. to get that condition for you. Believe me, that's like he's uh, he's a hero. Yeah, we thought we thought it was going to sell relatively quickly, you know, but but June was just such a soft month. And uh, so we put it on the market at the end of May and um, and, and you know, subsequently moved out of the house because we've got little kids and, you know, you don't want to be here during the showings. And we ended up being out of the house for six weeks, which was not 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 too much fun. But yeah, yeah as soon as July opened up again, um, like nothing sold in our neighborhood uh particularly well in, in the month of june and then when july opened up it was like the floodgates uh, the selling just just ramped up immediately wow awesome yeah and, and you're staying in the area like you're moving moved right up the street yeah okay. bigger excited. house like you kind of got more space like a lot of people are doing right now is that what it is yeah absolutely yeah bigger it's lots a, bigger land much, that kind of stuff. much bigger lot pool all that kind of fun stuff so for the kids Beautiful. um awesome. yeah we, we were we were able to uh you know, I'm like, I'm like a kilometer closer to the, to Mississauga golf club now. So I'm pretty happy. It's just like real dad mode. Yeah. I was out at my local club yesterday too. Right. It's nice just to have something 10 minutes away that you can just exactly. go to play and, and get home, you know, the back roads to get there. Awesome. Exactly. So, and you got two kids, you have a, a daughter and a, you have a new, a newborn recently. I have two. Yeah. I got a six-year-old and a one-year-old, yeah. um, both of which are about to turn respectively seven and two. And they're uh, 
they're up at the chalet today. So I'm like sitting here. It's quiet. I don't know what to do with myself. So it's, uh, yes. I'll probably just end up doing work to be honest with you. No, that is no generally the case. We'll make, we'll... yeah. Daryl's kids are a little bit older. My oldest is nine. Um, and they're big into, they're big into gaming. His son is like, like basically he fills many roles on our show um, at 14, I think, right? 15? 14, 14 right? Years so old. he's just, he's just so much more advanced than we were at 14 when it comes to technology. Oh he, built his, is... he built his first computer when he was on his 13th birthday and it was like a serious computer. He's wow. uh, yeah, he's pretty cool. He's really into gaming. I, I'm a big gamer too. I mean, me and him yesterday, I think we, we disappeared into a VR game for like three hours and didn't even realize how long it was. It was like the technology is crazy these days. Yeah, Anyways. it's a lot different. A uh, lot different than playing uh, Nintendo or Sega when we were kids. But still fun though. Those are the days. That was still uh, exciting. Right. That, that, that's what was good back then. At tw yeah. Twenty years yeah. from now, people look back and like all these kids look at them with their Roblox and yeah, Fortnite and what do they know? What were they thinking? There's no augmented reality. Oh my gosh. It's going to be. Uh, I mean, the the velocity of change in the video game industry is pretty huge, and. You know, but the, the industry goes well beyond just the, the, you know, the console games that we're all playing. The, the mobile gaming industry is the fastest growing at the moment. See companies here in Canada like Leaf Mobile, which in my opinion is the best in the country. Um, that's just growing leaps and bounds. Um, and uh, then you've got obviously the big game publishers like Activision, Blizzard and Riot Games, et cetera, that are doing increasingly well. So there's no slowdown in our industry, that's for sure. No, How is that going to shape? The, I'm surprised the industry didn't get more content out during this uh, last year and a half. It was like fairly, fairly weak for for big games. Like we've been, we've all been kind of sitting here as gamers, kind of bored, waiting for like the next game to come out. And you know, the ones that came out were pretty, whatever. No. Well, yeah, I I, I think it get it. it, it kind of depends on which games you're playing i mean for these guys to be honest with you if you're a large game publisher and you already have your audience you've got your constituency of folks that are playing locked in you're gonna hold as long as you can until you release that next game because they're incredibly cost intensive assets to create um and more importantly you know once it's out there uh, from a financial perspective you've already incurred most of your cost and so for these guys you know if you look at for instance uh, Call of Duty 3, uh, Season 3, which launched uh, in the uh, end of April, beginning of May. We, My company, Wonder Gaming, launched it Canada-wide um, with Twitch and Chris Boucher from the Raptors on May 15th. And, you know, you don't even, you don't go to purchase a, a hard physical copy. You're downloading the game for free, right? And so they're monetizing by virtue of all of these items that you can purchase within gameplay. And so it becomes, as you guys know, enhanced almost on a daily basis where you can, you know, purchase a new avatar, a new gun, a new grenade or whatever it may be. And so oh, yeah. the moment that that becomes somewhat finite where they're like, hey, you know, we've kind of exhausted all our opportunities to make this game new and interesting. That's when the new one comes out. But they're, they're not inclined to release anything new too soon. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. I mean, these are gigantic assets that these companies are creating. A lot of them are just ridiculous money printing machines, right? That's right. And again, the see the, the future of esports is about the media aspect and being able to have 
you know, increasing uh, uh, low cost assets that you're selling to the gaming community, right? So, you know, a really great example is uh, the game Sims. I don't know if you remember the game Sims. Oh, yeah. there's, a, there's a company that's owned by, uh, by uh, called Sims Resource, which is owned by Enthusiast Gaming, where I was previous to starting Wonder. And um, Sims Resource does everything from sell a brand new pair of Louboutin shoes to a Jimmy Choo purse. And oh, so the yeah. idea is that if you're playing Sims and you can't afford a pair of $1,200 Louboutins yourself, you'll pay $9.99 to have them featured on your avatar in the game. So that's where you see this thing creeping up and just becoming absolutely huge. And, and that's being witnessed in gameplay. So it's a whole new revenue vertical for this industry. And, and Wonder Gaming, like what is it exactly that your focus is? So Wonder Gaming, uh, we generate revenue through three silos. We're a partner of both Reddit and Twitch. Um, we feature uh, creative content, uh, which is launching uh, on our Twitch channel, which is going to be called The Wonder Show. And uh, on Reddit, through a number of Ask Me Anything campaigns, we have one coming up with Fred Van Vliet, some stuff coming up with a number of NHL players, you know, all integrated into the video game community. So we generate revenue through partnerships with what we call large non-endemic partners, so telcos, banks, uh, insurance companies, et cetera, that want to gain access to the 2 billion plus people that are gaming on a daily basis. Our second, uh, our second revenue silo is NFTs. We're the first publicly traded company in North America with a fully built out NFT platform. So we work with professional athletes, professional sports teams and leagues, as well as uh, NCAA players uh, since the new ruling came out at the end of June where they can own their own likeness. So we actually mint the NFTs and host it for sale on our platform. And then our third is uh, we have a loyalty and rewards platform called GamingRewards.com, which launches in October. And, uh, you know, we work with a number of the same large brands that sponsor our content to help them move their product on our platform. And we have a loyalty and rewards component such that, you know, the gaming community gets great deals on everything from a new pair of Jordans to upcoming games to live events to even things like opening up bank accounts and getting your first credit card. Is that a, is that awesome. a, is that just a way of saying cross promotion through video games? Uh, yeah. I mean, the video game industry is one of uh, the most discernible crowds on the planet. And it's not like us watching, you know, Sunday PGA, uh, uh, you know, the, the last day at any game, any uh, of, of the um, any of the tour or watching an NHL game, Major League Baseball, et cetera. Everybody's watching on Twitch or they're watching, you know, through a number of other platforms and they're able to interact with each other in real time. So if you launch something that is not what we think what we call authentic to the gaming community, they're going to let you know pretty quick. So this is not about cross branding or anything along those lines. This is about creating a marketplace that is somewhere that, that the gaming community finds comfortable to go out and, and purchase the basket of goods that they would naturally buy uh, in, in the run of a day anyways. I, I like that. I like how, how that response time is, right? Because there's so many different, you know, ads, podcasts, events, all that kind of stuff that gets sponsored. That's clearly just trying to, a brand just trying to force their name down your throat. Right. And everyone's just like it doesn't it doesn't suit the the activity or the fans or the or the the audience. And if and, and they don't really get an opportunity to say anything. So I like that in the gaming community. They just they let you know right away. Right. Yeah, exactly. So oh, yeah. If, if you're if you're with your son and you're playing the VR game you were playing yesterday 
And then you can, through that game, sign into GamingAwards.com and order something like Skip the Dishes or Uber Eats uh, and earn rewards for something that you're already purchasing. And those rewards can be used to utilize things like buying a new sword on Fortnite, buying a new gun on Call of Duty, things of that nature. That's that's basically what, you know, the, 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 the purpose that we serve. Cool. Yeah, that's neat. So NFTs, just quickly, let's just jump into the NFT space here. Uh, you know, we've had fractional ownership in real estate. We've had um, <clears throat> parts of parts of the world, different different pieces of real estate that uh, I've seen offered on NFTs. Uh, like you're talking about the athletes, where they've got their own um, unique NFTs that they're offering and everything else too. How how far do you think the NFT space is going to go? Where do you think that's going to go? Yeah, that's I mean, ultimately, we're 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 in the business of the democratization of NFTs, making them accessible. I mean, what we see now, just because media is inherently sensationalist, is that you know you see the four hundred thousand dollar NFT sold at Christie's auction or something along those lines. But you know, the best way to look at an NFT is that it's it's an alternative asset class, right? So in the same way that you have a Tom Brady rookie card or a Wayne Gretzky rookie card, you're just hosting it as a digital asset as opposed to physical. So the idea is about ownership, about provenance. And so, um, you know, we work with a number of different athletes you're gonna see coming out over the next 90 days, whereby we're taking, you know, some of like Bobby Orr's famous shot, you know, famous number four Bobby Orr, famous shot with Bruins and he's got his hands outstretched in front of the net. You take that, you do a one of 50 NFTs, sell it on the marketplace for $500 each. We do a revenue share with his, uh, his estate such that we're incurring all of the upfront costs, featuring it on the platform and then facilitating the sale. And you can do that for, for assets past, present and future. And so the interesting thing to your point is that you're now starting to see it going to, to, to things such as uh, real estate, right? So especially in the wine industry, like can you own a portion of Burgundy uh, 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 theoretically through an NFT. Can you own a bottle of, uh, uh, of uh, Grand Cru, uh, you know, uh, any number of, of incredible vintages uh, and actually own it as an NFT? And, you know, the world is showing that there's a marketplace for that. It's amazing. So the, the vision, so NFTs, 100 years from now, um, real estate becomes, you know, completely unaffordable for the average person. Is it going to be fractional ownership where they're, where they're all owning an actual piece of the real estate? Or is it strictly just going to be NFTs because, you know, population's at 100 billion and, you know, no one, no one owns anything? What do you think? I don't know. I, I, I certainly hope it doesn't go that direction. I think, you know, we don't deal in the world of NFTs through, through exclusively the crypto realm. We only sell it through what we call fiat currencies, so Canadian and U.S. dollars. Um, the, you know, I think in the case of, uh, in the case of real estate, it can be seen through that lens of an NFT, a non-fungible token. And the token is just the asset. And the fungibility is the is referencing your ability to duplicate it. So it's kind of like owning a home, right? If the house that I'm sitting in right now, you know, you guys could sell it for me, but physically you can duplicate it somewhere else, but it won't sit on this plot of land. So it physically can't be duplicated in its truest sense. But, in, but uh, as far as NFTs are concerned in the blockchain, that's where I think your question really comes into play, which is that fractional ownership opportunity. But at the end of the day, the digital form of ownership is always going to have its limitations, right? So um, in 100 years from now, I think there'll be something probably a lot more tangible uh, as it relates to what digital goods can do with ownership of physical property. But uh, it's going to be exciting to see where it goes. Did you see the, uh, there was a gentleman who 
was selling a house in California as an NFT, and he had uh, some artist draw a picture of the house with some aliens and UFOs kind of popping up. Did you see that whole thing? Did you follow yeah, that story? So, yeah. so, but he didn't end up selling the house through an NFT. I think, like, I, I, I believe NFTs are definitely a gigantic opportunity. I think the real estate market is like just starting to get into technology. I think NFTs, although they would be like a huge success in things like fractional ownership of real estate, um, I think this real estate market's going to take a while to adopt. I mean, if you just did, uh, if you just sold your house and bought a house, you'll see. You, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to see how antiquated all their systems are in the real estate market, residential, right? Uh, like just bookings and sh like all the stuff. I mean, they just got on that system of doing bookings online, right? They're, if you've seen their back end, uh, it's it's a it's a disaster, and like. I can't wait till somebody comes up with something cool with NFTs and real estate. But that first guy, I mean, he had a, it was a whole ad campaign. He got a lot of eyes on it and no bites. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I almost think that it's in the seller's interest for the real estate model to stay antiquated. Right. I mean, you know, to a certain degree, ha having, you know, applying the notion of like fractional ownership and, 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 and ownership being held on the blockchain, um, might you know it doesn't have to apply everywhere i think that's kind of the biggest misnomer that people that people see with kind of new modern technologies and ways of of uh, of understanding ownership I, I don't i don't think it naturally applies at the moment um you know to real estate and, and i wonder if it ever will um because at the end of the day you know you can go on house sigma as i've done so frequently you know in the past six months looking at houses etc and you can see that my house sold for price X and I sold it at a premium of Y over a five year period of time. And so is that going to deter you from wanting to buy my house? I don't think so. I think the demand in the marketplace is what's going to establish that price. And if somebody's willing to pay it, I want to get the, the highest price possible. Whereas I think in the, in the framework of looking at things through the blockchain, the idea of like fractional ownership I would think the, 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 the real estate industry is kind of allergic to that, right? Because who wants to own portion of their home? You either lease or you own. There's, it's binary. There's no kind of middle area, right? Or at least, I don't know, me as an individual, I wouldn't want to have a middle area. Yeah, we did, we did a whole show. We talked to somebody about that. And, that, and those are all the issues. I, I wanted to hear your opinion on it. But those are all the issues with uh, crypto involved, digital currencies, at the end of the day, when I sell my home, I want you to pay me cash that I'm 100% sure of that I can spend that money in the places that accept it as many places as possible so that there's no other risk or volatility once you've actually exchanged the funds for me to give you the title, right? And that's uh, the old school way of doing it. And I, and I think that it's going to be a really hard model to change. I, I agree. I, yeah. I like that old school model. I want to, you know... What's the, the French interpretation of the word mortgage is death gamble? I mean, it's the biggest death until death. until death is what is the direct translation. <laughs> yeah, until yeah. death. So, until you know, death. the, the you know, a mortgage is the biggest financial encumbrance most of us ever take on. And so are you going to want to somehow try a new version of, of, of technologically understanding your ownership of a property? I know I don't, right? Yeah. But... 
I understand how it works in our industry, because if you're watching the finals of the Call of Duty finals and there's 112 million people watching eight guys playing a stadium in Philadelphia and you get to buy a 15 second clip of that last kill shot where a guy wins a $3 million prize and you can own it and you're a huge fan of the game. That makes total sense. You're like, yeah, I'd pay $400 for that. I'd pay, if it's a one of 2000, I'd pay 40 bucks for it and be one of those owners and maybe resell it on another platform. But to do it with your home or your condo or your car, I don't know. I, I, I don't see it going that direction. Neat. All right, well, let's get into some more real estate related stuff. <laughs> so uh, commercial space, right? So, you, you know, you guys, uh, do you have, uh, offices? Are you guys in a head office somewhere? Are you guys? Because uh, Wonder Gaming is jobs? in the past. You, in the past couple you, of years, Wonder Gaming has now um, been started. Is that right? How long has Wonder yeah, Gaming? Yeah, so been we've around? got an office in Toronto and one in Montreal, uh, okay. downtown in both cities. Yeah. Um, nothing, nothing, not, not a not a large footprint. I think you know part of the thing about our industry is that we don't naturally require a ton of uh, you know a ton sure. of office space. Yeah. We're in the business of driving down overheads as opposed to, to the opposite. But, you know, I think, and I think that's, that's an industry, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a capital markets guy. Um, and, you know, my role in the number of different businesses that I've run or I'm on the board of, uh, uh, I'm not an exempt market dealer. I'm not, you know, an IROC certified banker, but I've got a very large broker network um, at, you know, all of the large financial institutions and investment banks in the city. So, you know, I spend a lot, if not most of my time with these folks. And, and, you know, you're starting to see a lot of reluctance of folks going back to the office. A lot of these commercial properties in the city of Toronto continuing to be underpopulated. And, and uh, I really wonder what's going to happen. How, how long is this going to continue to affect REITs? And what's the long-term value of commercial real estate going to look like by virtue of the fact that folks are more and more reluctant to go back? Yeah. Yeah, so we have that's... an article here from this week that says people are now clamoring to rent tiny condos in downtown Toronto again. And I, uh, I, I do see in my Twitter feed regularly uh, a, a previous guest, Nazma uh, Ali, saying that she's got bidding wars on tiny condos for rent again downtown. And I see reports from... Um, there was a few tech companies, I forget who they were, but large companies saying we're going to make people go back to, to the office uh, for three days a week now. Mm -hmm. and so it looks like life is kind of starting to be forced back into the core. It seems to me like every time I've gone out, people really want to be out and doing stuff. So I don't think it's going to take too much to get people to go back. But it, I don't think full time for sure. Like it needs to be almost an optional thing to go in. Like when the kids are driving you crazy for too long, go into the office, right? If you if if your wife's pissing you off, I gotta go to the office right now. You know, like to have a place to go. But I don't mm -hmm. think it's gonna be full time again ever. But I wonder how much of a decrease in the amount of space they're using that's gonna cause, right? You know, everything from you know, all different levels of the banks to insurance companies to whatever it may be. I, I just wonder about the long-term impact of how much available office space and things of that nature is going to exist out there. And there's been a lot of companies, you know, Canadian Tire, like a few clients and stuff like that. I know who work in corporate offices and stuff like major, major you know, retailers and, and, and stuff like that who've got, you know, tens of thousands of employees have been eliminating office space, like not just you know, toning it down or telling people, you know, we're not coming back. Like they're actually handing the keys back and, and, and getting rid of 
full yeah. uh, floors of their office yeah. space. Office right? is a weird place right now. But the reality, yeah. I think, with anything is that, especially this, is that the developers are going to slow down on the office inventory that they create. They're going to fill up the old stuff or the current stuff with new companies or growing companies. Like, look at Shopify. They're like the mm -hmm. biggest company in Canada right now. And they're just eating up office space. Amazon's buying commercial properties like up the wazoo, you know, like more and more companies are coming here. This is a good market to be in. Toronto proper is like one of the biggest uh, states in the US. You know what I mean? Like we have a huge economy in Ontario. So I think, you know what, it, it's going to readjust, but office will still be necessary. But yeah, yeah, some people will shrink, some will grow. Like your company, if you keep this trajectory up, you're going to need more office space soon, right? You're eating up companies and you're in an industry that's going to like quadruple in the next five to 10 years, right? It's true. Um, uh, but I mean, maybe, you know, we're, we're a bit of a different uh, example because you can do so much of what we do remotely. Um, but, you know, we've got a growing presence in New York with staff in New York, staff in L.A., I mean, at the end of the day, our industry is, is, is in the United States, right? Canada, you know, I always say Canada, we're a great country. We're a big country. We're, you know, fantastic on so many levels. But economically, we're like Denmark on steroids. Compared to the United States, we're not really that big. Um, mm. But all things equal, you know, that, that's Shopify, to your point. I was very early investor at Shopify, big fan of their model, now the biggest company in the country. They're telling employees they're not coming back. So, um, and, and, you know, they, at King in Portland, I think they just built a 160,000 square foot office, um, with their original footprint being at the, in a historic building at the Northwest corner of Spadina and, and, uh, and, uh, King. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I think every industry is going to be different. The closer you get to tech, the, the further, you know, you're going to, the, the further away you're going to see people coming back into the office, but I'm with you guys. I, I can't sit still. I can't sit at home. So I'm, I'm out every day of the week, uh, either in the office or, you know, at a meeting, a lunch, a dinner, whatever, whatever, whatever's, a, whatever the government will let us do nowadays. So you're saying Shopify, um, they have, cause we know that they got new space, but they're actually telling their employees to stay home or yeah. it's going to be hybrid. Shopify is saying that folks are not coming back to the office. So what are they o using the optional space for? or optional or like, no, well, they are, communications up until very recently is from, from everything that I know with folks that are very senior at Shopify is that they have no intention of compelling people to come back and a vast majority of their work uh, of their staff is going to be working remotely. Yeah. What the Especially hell the do they even they need people to. for? Yeah. They, they don't have, need they that office. Computer people. Yeah. They're, they're happy to be at home and they probably have a setup that's conducive for work already. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that facility, that, that office space they built at King in Portland is a rounding error to them when they're uh, six times the size of RBC, which is the, you know, 16th largest bank on the planet. Uh, it's pretty staggering what they can afford. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. Just so crazy. right. So right now the market seems to have been cooling. I like what you said about your house. Um, you had listed it. So you had bought, you got a condition in May. Don't know how Kevin did that. Kudos to him. That's awesome. Then it took six weeks to be able to sell. And you saw the market start to all of a sudden July hit and boom, the buyer came. Like, was it number of showings that increased? Was it maybe offers started coming in? What was it? That yeah, you, you know July? what? That, 
it, it's it, it was a really weird phenomenon. I mean, we went in, you know, we we did like many folks. Uh, I'm 37, you know, young family. We did like what many folks did, brought in a, a contractor to give us a quote on building, you know, the house to be larger and so on and so forth. And we had this dream house right up the street from us uh, that we had always wanted. Uh, it was Demar DeRozan's neighbor's home when Demar played for the uh, for the Raptors. And uh, we just it's loved this house ever since well, the first day that my wife and I drove down the street to come to our house, without giving too much detail of where I live, uh, we saw this house and we're like, wow, imagine we could live there one day. And so, um, so our realtor was able to get the deal done privately with the owners who are kind of older and retired, their kids are graduating university. And so we just, we just pulled the trigger. And, um, uh, and, and, and so, you know, we were like, ah, oh, this house will sell. It'll be a joke. Like, you know, our, our, we have a nice enough home. It's nothing special, but it, it'll sell really quickly. And man, I don't know what happened in June, but they, the, the taps just turned off. And where I live, Mississauga road, just South of Indian, North of, of, uh, of, of Lakeshore, it's the most sought after neighborhood in Mississauga. Right. It's a so beautiful area, beautiful area. Yeah. It's, it's spectacular. So, yeah. you know, when it didn't sell and we were like getting into the third week of June, we were like, are we going to have to hold these two mortgages? Cause this is going to be crazy. And, um, and, and of course we were living out of the house. We're living with my in-laws, which and thankfully my in-laws are great. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on your <laughs> podcast and there's a likelihood that yeah. they might see this. There's but they actually very are. little likelihood that they will see this. If they're Dude, don't, don't play it down. My father-in-law <laughs> was a real estate agent for 40 years. So uh, maybe he watches this religiously. I don't know. But, yeah. um, but yeah, no, we got to like week five and I was like, I don't know if I can swear, but I was like, you know, F that. Um, we're going we're gonna to move back in. We moved back in and then thank, thankfully that the house sold to a family four days later. So. Yeah, we saw we saw that we saw in June um, opening up started. I think the step one started middle of June, something like that. Uh, I can't remember when they started reopening things, but people just got, you know, they get fed up. Right. I mean, everything is human behavior. Everyone's talking about interest rates. Everyone's talking about the economy. Everyone's talking about immigration and all these things that are all factors. Nothing is more powerful than human behavior. Nothing is more powerful than a bunch of people when all of a sudden they're trapped in their homes and COVID is happening and they and they need more space and they need work from home and they want to pool and they want to get out of the city and all all these things. That's so much more powerful. If they they will find a way, even if interest rates are ten percent, they will find a way to go where they want to go. Even if their jobs are suffering, they will find a way to make the change that they want. And that's um and that's what we saw. So all of a sudden, even though the exact same fundamentals and, and economics with respect to you know borrowing everything were still in place people were now allowed to go out and do other shit <laughs> so it was like go yeah. shopping go visit their family go up north whatever it was and real estate was not a priority right no and i for me it was pretty scary too because i just bought a house with uh, tk's help a uh, little over a month ago and then it felt like every article and everybody was saying the market is cooling the market is tanking it's time for the crash and i was like oh fuck i just bought a house man like at the top of the market that's the dumbest thing ever but i really feel like it is just about to go but when, when he bought yeah it's just now a little slow point yeah, yeah. but Tell me, does everybody like we hear waning housing market dims asking price expectation for sellers? Is this a fact or is this a headline? 
Well, let, let's just hear what John has to say. This is a real world experience. After six weeks, was it you're in your mind, your expectations where you're like, maybe we're not going to get the amount of money that we thought? Like, how does that work? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. And uh, but the funny thing is, my wife and I were saying to each other yesterday, we could have got like 100 or 150 more had we held out. I don't know what happened, if it was if it was specific to our neighborhood or not. But man, it was just like some like I said, somebody turned the buyer tap off. And it was no, like a price point thing. It's a price point thing. I'm telling you, because TK keeps telling me all the time that, you know, he's got multiple offers all over the place in the more average price point mm -hmm. uh, or even a little below average price points uh, or a little above average, like somewhere in that sweet spot. It's bananas still. Right. But in some of the higher price points, it seems like people have gone to their yachts or traveled because they, they got the places they got the money to go places yeah do whatever the fuck they feel like doing right now oh yeah, yeah. is this a non-swearing episode sorry no come on we're on you guys but the luxury the luxury market always is imp i think it's got like the um uh the biggest uh exaggerations right so when things start to go really well all of a sudden we start seeing these nine ten fifteen million dollar sales and then when the market starts to slow down a little bit it's like this huge uh, decrease in the volume of uh, high-end real estate. High-end stuff. Yeah, and listen, I'll tell you, let me tell you a quick story. So way back in my younger foolish days, I decided that I was a, a big shot and I bought a couple of really expensive properties to redevelop at like uh, Leslie and Lawrence area, at Bambury area. Beautiful area. I was in way over my head and the market was rip roaring and just going crazy, right? And everybody was like, go, go, go. The market's just going up. The market's just going up. And boom, like the worst timing in the world. All of a sudden, like Bay Street collapses and everything, all hell breaks loose here. Right. And it's like all of a sudden you're 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 thinking you're 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 test driving Porsches and everything's like amazing. And the <laughs> next thing you know, it's like you were you were. The, the worst case scenario, like the Excel spreadsheet that had the worst case scenario, you know, I was still a billionaire and all of a sudden nobody would buy anything. And the rationale at the very beginning was that rich people will still buy when things are tough because they'll still have money. And it's the exact opposite. They're rich because they're smart. And when they think that the market is turning, they stop. Or if they feel like it, they can stop. They don't need to buy things. Right. They buy stuff because they want to. And it's a totally different market. So if you're above a certain price point, it makes sense that those taps turned off. But it feels fucking scary. eh? Yeah, for sure. I, th I think you're right, too. You know, I, I think a lot of people, depending on your net worth, are really guided by what's happening in your portfolio. And uh, and and, you know, oftentimes that might be ex mutually exclusive to what's happening in the real estate market. But you know, depending on your exposure you have with your broker and, uh, you know, if, if you're getting hit, uh, you're going to be less inclined to go out there and, and, and buy a home or, and, and, and like, to your point, that can have an effect across the board. I remember my dad used to always say when there was a recession, uh, you know, make sure to buy stock in the likes of shoppers drug mart, because, you know, inherently people stop buying expensive shoes and purses and start spending 17 to $25 on Revlon. Right. And, and, uh, and so you're, you're, you're witnessing that shift happening where people are still going out and buying things that make them feel good, 
but the, the, the price point is much lower. Well, and, and you know what? Even the Federal Reserve in the States says that, or, or maybe it was here in Canada, the Bank of, the Bank of Canada was saying that we're going to see a shift in the spending patterns for a while. And the recovery uh, of the economy is going to be more um, consumer-based on like consuming other than real estate now. Real estate's going to take a backseat to like, uh, you know, more Amazon purchases and travel, travel yeah. and yeah. whatever. Yeah, different things like that. What, what do you think right now? I mean, Bank of Canada is already starting to um, reduce the amount of bonds that they're buying. The quantitative easing is, is down to two billion a week. We've obviously always we've had these huge inflation scares. You know, everyone's got an opinion on it, right? Interest rates seem to be going to be seem to be at, at the lowest point that they are right now for the next year, maybe more. Um, how do you think right now? Tiff Macklem's doing. What do you what do you think about Bank, Bank of Canada's moves? How are you viewing everything that they've been saying? Lately? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's kind of like trying to play pool in the dark, right? I mean, if you look at, you know, domestic here in Ontario, Doug Ford's $38 billion projected deficit was down $9 billion. Uh, and, um, you know, is that by virtue of austerity and, and reduced spending? No, you know, healthcare spending up 15.2%, edu- sorry, education spending up uh, uh, 9.8%. So, you know, you're seeing that money still coming out. And then from a, from a macro sense, in terms of the Bank of Canada, you know, look, as we all know, they're not going to increase uh, the interest rate by more than 25 basis points in any quarter. And I think the collective leveraging of Canadians across Canada, I don't know how if people could bear 50 basis points in one fiscal year, right? So uh, I, I forget th- about the people. What about the government? The government can't handle a rate increase. It'll bankrupt them. Yeah, absolutely. They're borrowing yeah. more money than anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. So, you know, the 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 levering that everybody has had to do to get through this, I think, is what's going to continue to keep uh, that interest rate low. Um, and you know, I'm I'm very happy for that. Uh, I mean, access to capital right now is is staggering. If you've, uh, as you know, like look, if you've got a great portfolio of assets and you know you've got a, a potential leverage accounts, um, you know, in the public markets the banks are just so willing to lend it's it's I've never seen anything like it. Um, and, and that's the other scary part too, because, you know, even folks that are doing well, and I'm not sure what even doing well is defined as nowadays. It just seems so disparate. I don't know half the people, how half the people out there afford the houses that they do, but you know, what I'm concerned and fascinated about is what this is going to look like in 10 years from now. I think in five years from now, we're not going to see a huge velocity of change in, in terms of how people are servicing their debt. But in 10 years, like where could it be? Um, and I think a lot of people are, are further underwater than they're, than they're willing to admit. I think what happens in 10 years is we have to look a little bit south to New York City. And it's going to be like that. It's going to be more renters, high rents, ridiculous prices for real estate all over the place. And high immigration with with high net worths coming in and buying empty places because it's a place to park their dough. It's going to look basically like it looks now, but, you know, a little crazier. I, I, I through my business, I do some international uh, work in other countries. And I was speaking to a guy in Australia and I had no idea. First of all, their dollar is really similar to ours uh, in value. Secondly, they're selling apartments for a hundred million dollars, and it's not even that crazy for, for that. 
hundred million dollar apartment. Yeah, it's sure it's a nice place. Yeah, the, the it better be the, the AUD. Yeah, the, the the AUD is a strong currency. They've got a they've got a really successful investment banking history there. You know, obviously their natural resource business is huge. I've been in a monster condo at the Q1 just south of Brisbane, which is which is their tallest building in uh, in Surfers Paradise. So I've, I've actually been in, in one of the kind of condos you're talking about. I don't think it was nearly that much. But to your point, the Australia's affluent community is like unknown uh, when it comes to, you know, North America. Just just how just how uh, well the folks can live there um, and, and how stable their economy is, given the fact that it's, you know, 22 million people in the middle of the South Pacific. But, you know, it, it's they, they, they punch well above their weight. Yeah, it's it's insane. Even here. Okay, you know what? Let me bring one thing up that I'll tie into this next thing quickly, because I was watching a video of yours and you were wearing the the best T-shirt ever. It (laughs) said uh, the top line said New York. Then under it said Paris. Under it said L.A. And then (laughs) I know the shirt. Scarborough (laughs) and then Milan which is amazing. But but listen, Scarborough now, like, first of all, everywhere, I, I get a million emails a day. Well, not lately, but a lot of emails a day of new launches for, for new developments in the city. And like everywhere is launching for over $1,000 a square foot. Like literally everywhere right now is launching for over $1,000 a square foot. Like Scarborough fits on that t-shirt. And I mean, the joke is that obviously Scarborough should not be on the T-shirt, right? Yeah, I, I, I guess that definition that TK, I mean, look, TK and I grew up in a nice community. Um, and uh, uh, but well, we, were, we were always five minutes away from the hood if you needed to, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Anything. That, Depends that, who you're talking to. But, yeah. You know, maybe property, property at Morningside and Lawrence was not worth a ton when we grew up there whereas in the neighborhood that we grew up in it, it was probably one of the nicer neighborhoods outside of uh outside of you know uh, uh the bluffs and guildwood but you know those houses that we grew up in which were probably 200 grand when i was a kid or now what a million two a million three it's crazy more, yeah yeah it's so insane. i think the, the the stigma that scarborough may have had in the 80s and 90s is is all but has- gone with the exception of certain areas it has to be gone it's crazy because you know what? Now a thousand dollars a square foot is pretty much cheap. I mean, this is Waterloo and Kitchener and Peterborough pricing, right? I don't even know what Scarborough should technically be right now. I know it's not getting a thousand bucks a foot right now. When we had um, the market in uh, 2017, that made a big correction, right? We saw a lot of different things happening and obviously prices had come down quite a bit. And there were so many areas that had been affected, some by foreign investors, some by just, you know, market conditions. The fastest, um, the most highly in, uh, appreciated neighborhood in all of the greater Toronto area at one point, I think it was about middle of 2019, was Malvern. Malvern, because oh, yeah, it sure. was the cheapest part of the city and everybody who was coming to the city immigrating from other places uh you know looking for a rental you know trying to find a place that's affordable so that they don't overpay all went to this undervalued neighborhood that obviously at one time no one would want to live in right because of the news but it grew the most i mean it grew faster than every other neighborhood in uh, the gta right yeah i I have i i have the distinction of saying i was uh 
I was robbed for a pair of Ewing shoes at Melvin Mall as a teenager. So there you go. <laughs> clearly, clearly things the have same. changed since Ewing. I went to go buy in a Nietzsche sweater as a kid. But uh, that didn't work. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad it's on the upswing. They're on the up. They're on the up and up now, right? So yeah, there's definitely areas like that. I still live in in the same area. I still live. You know, I'm like I, I'm the little boy who never got to leave his hometown. Uh, but I love it here, and this is where I raised my family, and I and I wouldn't live anywhere else. Uh, Daryl develops, and he's got a project in Scarborough that he's working on, and you know we feel the same way. It's it's an undervalued part of the city. We got the um, subway extensions that are going to be eventually coming through. We've got all sorts of LRT options. extensions. LRT. We we've got all the um, you know transit schooling, uh, waterfront development. Uh, you know, you've got Your, just, u, the universities out there, too. U, universities, uh, everything is just really coming up and everything's just being gentrified. Just all these old, you know, commercial spaces are starting to come up there. I saw some really nice industrial stuff that was being done in the north end where everyone's just revitalizing all the old buildings. And then we're getting condos, you know, and condos to me are the answer to our problem. No one wants to hear that. Everyone wants to live with a white picket fence, but uh, population growth, affordability, uh, options for our kids to be able to buy like condos are the answer you know we need we need more condos in strategic places where people can live and have spaces that they're comfortable in and um, to me own so that they can have so that they can have a piece of the real estate market and build wealth right we can't go to to the renting city as quickly as some might think I think we've got to try to get ownership into every person's hands um, possible whoever whoever it is young or old Right. Or investor, what's the difference? People leave, investor just leads to the tenants. I'm not saying that we're not going to have renters. I'm just thinking what you're saying in New York, going all the way, you know, as far I don't know what the percentage of New Yorkers is that rent. I know that we're um, somewhere in the five or something. Yeah, and we're somewhere in the fifty to sixty percent ownership. Yeah, fifty. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think the notion of of home ownership um, is fleeting, right? For a lot of people, like. Especially but, the younger generation. Yeah, for sure. When like, we, my wife and I started, we bought a condo uh, in 2009 at King and Bathurst. So we were what, 28, I guess. No, no, we were 25, 24, 24, 25. And we bought it for, I think it was 1100 square feet, two bed, one bath. We bought it for 279,000 bucks. I was going to say that crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's worth like, I don't know, a million bucks right now. So, um, and, and then, you know, I, I remember when we got that place, that seemed like crazy. Like my, crazy. my dad, God bless him said to me, he's like, what are you doing? Like, how are you going to afford this place? I'm like, Dad, it's $2,100 a month. He goes, $2,100 a month? Are you out of your mind? That's I'm actually like, $2,100 a month then. doesn't pay for my kids' daycare nowadays. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's just the, the velocity of, of how expensive these houses have become. I, I just don't see how that stops. It's crazy. You know? It's crazy. But so you have also here, here, check this out. Here's where you can still buy a house in Ontario for less than 250 k on average. You just you just uh, need a plane to be able to get there because well, here, there's no check other it roads. Out. But there's 12 places in Ontario that you can still buy a house. It may not be a house you want to live in, and it more than likely will not be in a town you want to live in. But they exist, and you know what? It will happen. People will buy them, and yeah. the places will get better, especially if there's a little bit of water near them. 
and people will hopefully they're good at mining minerals and <laughs> but different listen, types I mean, of uh... saint marie thunder bay like these they're populated they're not like that windsor uh sudbury brockville like they're not timmins like they're small towns but they're not like teeny tiny Mm-hmm. We've all been to them. We've all taken kids to hockey there or been there for hockey or baseball or something ourselves, right? Yeah, no, that's a, I think that's a good point. And that's the only direction that it can head in. America is famous for the notion that small town America is a heavily populated place. Like most of the United States is is not, you know, the major city centers of New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, and, you know, LA, uh, Washington, etc. It's it's that central region, like how many people live in Dakota, Wyoming, and all these areas. And I think we're going to see that exact same thing happen here. I, I don't know if the stat is still relevant or accurate, but I remember, you know, at some point there was a statistic that said somewhere around 80% of Canadians live within 150 to 200 kilometers of the U.S. border. And that's just not sustainable um, in the long run. Canada is a country that is defined by Vancouver Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, and to certain, and, and Montreal, of course, but, you know, from a business perspective, uh, the first four uh, in terms of interacting with the U.S., et cetera. So there's no way that everybody can live in these city centers. So to your point, they, they've got to go north or east or, or, or west. And I, and I think the ability to, to have necessary infrastructure in these far places is greater than ever. I mean, just through technology, I mean, Christ, you just get a subscription for Starlink now and 600 bucks later, you know, you, you have unbelievable internet access in all those places. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what more do you need these days than internet access to make a living where you can afford a house for 250 K. Well, and, and, and again, you know, how much money is there to be made from a development perspective? I mean, everybody thought, you know, 20, 30, however many years ago that, the De Gaspers family was nuts for building out into Kleinberg with Condrain and, and, you know, basically building all this infrastructure well beyond where folks thought that they were going to live, buying up all this farmland. And, you know, who has the last laugh, right? So, you know, the, the same phenomenon, I think, is going to be witnessed in these other communities where you can, like, literally go and organically create a huge community with these, with these eligible buyers in a rate market where it's super easy for people to qualify for, you know, a three to $400,000 mortgage. It's just where the heck can they live for that money? Where can they live for that money? But now through like solar and Starlink and basically anything Elon Musk, you can have something in the middle of nowhere feel like it's a super futuristic city, right? Like you could buy high speed speed internet. They could bring on on a large enough scale. They could bring, uh, fiber optics and stuff like that. They, they could, yeah, they but could... who the hell needs fiber optics anymore? It's like a matter of time before we're all on Starlink or something similar to Starlink. You, you, soon you In will more rural places that's needed now. But yeah, if you're it's... if you're building five ten thousand homes, then you're going to be getting high speed internet. Martin. You don't need it anymore. But it, regardless, I mean, one way or another, if you're building, yeah, if you're building that many, you, the infrastructure is there. But why dig and put up poles for stuff that you don't even need? But regardless of that, like if you add modular and all these technologies really right now, and maybe even like a cord tunnel underneath to get you to back to civilization quickly, like <laughs> I'm not even kidding. This I all train, right yeah. Now. 
not yeah. even a high speed train, like jump in your Tesla, get in a boring tunnel. And in 10 minutes, you're back, you know, at Finch Station or something from from Belleville or God knows where, or who knows what. Right. But you can have like 3D printed, decent houses like you can do all this stuff and things can be cheap and you don't need to be near the water. You don't need to be near the core anymore. It's like this whole shift has to happen. Will it happen? Probably not for a while. It's starting. It's just it's just how long will that take? Well, that, that's that's interesting. I do AM640 radio a couple times a week. Um, you know, similar discussions to what we're having here, just kind of general interest topics. But, you know, one of the questions we discussed on the John Oakley show on Thursday was, um, uh, should Elon Musk and all the folks that are Jeff Bezos, et cetera, uh, all the folks that have this fascination with space, what if they turned that interest to actually solving for problems domestic to earth, right? And so, you know, I think once people start to see a, uh, either a marketplace or they're just so ultra high net worth that they decide the future is in like affordable housing, uh, that's where I think you see that massive uh, uh, technological turn uh, uh, happen. Because at the end of the day, if you left it to Ford and GM and Toyota and Nissan to forge new ground on electric cars, we'd be right back where we were in 2014. But if it wasn't, in my opinion, for Elon Musk and all the funding that he was able to get, you know, you just saw this, you saw, you know, the more of more effective change just get accelerated like, like crazy. So um, the, I think the same thing to your point is going to happen when it comes to the technology of building houses and new communities, but there have to be people that are going to be the catalyst for that growth. So yeah. maybe, maybe colonizing Mars is the answer. They need to find a way to be able to build houses cheap instantly. And that technology, like it's like all the revolutions that they had evolutions from they had in the, um, have it. uh, space travel, right? Like they talked about all these inventions that happened over the last 50 years that initially had come from them trying to be able to just, uh, you know, survive in space. Right. And that's probably along those same lines. Never, never had that thought before. Thanks, yeah, John. All, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously yeah. though, like most things come from that or, yeah. you know, movies or shows about it costs it. billions of dollars to make a hairdryer, but Hey, guess what? <laughs> you know, they've Once got, they they, they've got out. the need, they've got the need to do it. But you know, and the other thing to your point earlier is that like the, the, the evolution of the entrepreneurial class always changes, but the need for the entrepreneur is always constant. And so this is just the new area for people to go out there and, 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 you know, apply their, their, their imagination at doing something special. And so, you know, I think affordable housing is a next step for me. I think, you know, the two biggest concerns that are out there right now is how we're going to treat garbage moving forward, where it's going to be housed and shipped and handled and where people are going to live, you know, and, uh, I think for, for the past 10 to 20 years, everybody was concerned with the idea of water being a finite crop. I'm not saying that it's not, but you know, it, I think the real focus now is like just this massive garbage we create and where people live. If somebody can figure out solutions around those two, uh, call it industries or categories, there's a lot of money to be had and, and a lot of problems to be solved. Amazing. So we are, are at the end of our hour. Um, you know, we know that, uh, you know, you've got a lot of people out there too. I think you're on Twitter. Um, what other social medias are you on? Uh, most of my social media is private, but you can follow yeah, okay. us at wonder gaming, W O N D R gaming, uh, on Perfect. all social platforms, Twitch, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Uh, yeah. but, but my personal stuff is just me posting okay. ridiculous videos of my kids. 
<laughs> no, that's okay. So you're, you're Wonder Gaming. You can find them on all the major social medias. Um, people can and find you can you. follow our stock. We're traded on the Securities Exchange, soon to be in the U.S. and in Germany, and the ticker is WDR. WDR. Get in now, folks. Get in and now. If it wasn't cool enough, okay? Now, this this is special to me on, on many levels. So while I was digging around to, to figure out who you were, sir, um, I came across an article, uh, and you are apparently doing a partnership with some gentlemen that I knew growing up. I went to French immersion public school with the, with the boys. Um, oh, yeah. And, ah, uh, oh, man, did I love the WWF growing up. I don't know what we call it now, but... Uh, you want to just tell us something quick about the, the cool wrestling thing that you that you're working on with the Megan brothers? Yeah. So the, with the Megan group, they they uh, they own the uh, the likeness and a lot of the assets for very famous wrestlers like the Iron Sheik Iron and other Sheik. And exactly. And yeah, those I'm guys a, were a, always a, hanging out with wrestlers when we were growing up. Like I was friends with their sister, Mojan. Yeah, Mojan. Yeah. And, and these these guys, like they always had wrestlers around and pictures of them with the Iron Sheik. And it was like, yeah. and even now they did like a documentary about the Iron Sheik. And they're, they're pretty tapped into the wrestling world. But like they were the coolest guys ever growing up because they were friends <laughs> with the Iron Sheik in like real life. Yeah, well, we're, we're working with them to mint a series of NFTs. So we have uh, our meme NFT uh, a platform, which is called memestation.com. We're launching three other marketplaces in September, one for music, one for gaming, and one for sports. And all of our WWE and WCW professional uh, 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 wrestling NFTs are going to be featured on our sports vertical. Thanks. With with big thanks to the the Megan boys. I was the tugboat and hurricane kind of guy growing up. You know, Pearl River Plunge, a couple of DDTs here and there. My older brother beat me up. Oh my God! Did I and now and now you get to bring it to the world. That's it. Right? I'm living right. the dream over here. Living the dream. I, I was it. like I was like in a Pizza Hut or I don't know some low end restaurant when I was a kid, and I was looking at this TV screen above my head, and the killer bees were fighting against the Heart Foundation or the oh. Heart Brothers, and I was like, "What is this? This is the cool. This is the best thing I've ever seen." And then my life changed forever. Rest in and peace, then, own art. But 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 you know what? Actually, one of the fondest memories I have, and I'm going to tie this into your your NFT the NFT thing, is those fucking bags of chips, the Hostess chips with the wrestling stickers in them. Like how those hard? Those are my jam. How hard did we try to collect those goddamn things? How much money did our parents spend on that? How much chips did we eat to get the same sticker over and over and over again? Right, and like this is what nfts can be right it's the same thing it's it's the digitized version the only difference between those and nfts and and don't lie and say you didn't do it is that you don't get to like lick all the seasoning off before you opened it up right um, but maybe i was the only kid who did that i don't maybe know that's maybe that's how to get to them. find yeah maybe right. that's how to get like this uh nft thing to really pop is you got to add some seasoning yeah. it's, i like that idea yeah, off that more tangible. There you go. But you I need like that it. excitement of something that you need to also get, you know, that makes it exciting to get that NFT, not just like, hey, guess what? I'm the idiot who just spent 400 grand on this NFT. Or I own this like head of this guy with a nose piercing. What are those things <laughs> called? You know, those ones, you know, they're like all the crazy NFT heads. Ah, 
That's like what no. started them off, no? No, we like to we like to spend our time on things that people want to buy. Oh, people are spending and trading these things like crazy. What the hell are they called? Hang on a sec. Anyways, doesn't matter. The Toronto Real Estate Show. Thanks you for joining us to talk. Thanks about for having estate. me, guys. Yeah, we well, appreciate for, it. For, yeah, my, my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. We're awesome. on YouTube. We're on uh, Spotify, Apple, anywhere that there's podcasts, you'll find us. Uh, so whoever's still listening, I don't know why you have nothing better to do after an hour of listening to us talk, but go check us out and uh, like, comment and subscribe. Thanks. Yes. Have a wonderful day. It's a timeless story, a story of graciousness and grandeur. Come walk in the footsteps of the Vanderbilt family and experience all that Biltmore has to offer. Plan your stay at Biltmore.com.